1: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Property Voice Podcast. My name is Richard Brown and as always, it's a pleasure to have you join me again on the show today. So did you miss the Property Voice Podcast over the summer then? Well, I missed you, but at the same time, I took a well-earned break and uh, shut down my weekly What Shall I Share on the Podcast dilemma for at least a few weeks as well. One of the things I was able to do this summer was explore a few podcasts uh, to listen to myself. I dived uh, into science, technology and other future thinking themes uh, along with a few personal development ones and of course one or two more directly related to my own podcast theme with property and finance. And in fact, two of these latter podcasts fused to inspire this episode today. The first is an old favourite that I'd slipped away from and that's the Freakonomics guys uh, who looked at financial education and how surprisingly few people around the world understood some of the basics. And this was supported when a social scientist called Howard Pollock wrote a blog that went viral called The Index Card. And his nine original principles to financial management fitted onto a single four by six inch index card, hence the name. The second uh, podcast that inspired today's show uh, is called Money for the Rest of Us, which is uh, produced by David Stein, or Steen. I'm not quite sure how to pronounce his name, actually. Uh, There's no specific episode that I'm uh, pegging today's show against. It's more his general philosophy of simplifying financial education for everyday people that captured my attention. In the About Us section of his website, David describes his mission partially as follows money for the rest of us is for people like you and me who aren't relying on someone else to make sure we have enough to retire. We've taken control of our financial future. Now I might change the mission to make sure we have enough to provide for our future for the purposes of my audience as I don't simply focus on retirement but I think it's a pretty good uh, assessment of the type of direction I'm trying to head in that's for sure. That said, today I shall share some financial rules, principles and tips that I now adopt and to some extent wish I had adopted sooner in my own personal financial life, if I'm honest with you. Uh, You get to learn from some of my mistakes and hopefully also from my better judgment as time has passed too. I therefore hope this uh, helps to save you such lost time in your own quest for financial control and success than I experienced. These principles that I will share today helped to turn around an approximate 20 years of haphazard and debt laden financial management in my adulthood into a more disciplined and deliberate approach resulting in millionaire status as of now. And this was achieved over an approximate seven year period once many of the practice, uh, sorry, practices that I will share today were gradually adopted and applied more consistently to my own financial uh, personal financial management. Usually, I'm a little bit more modest in in making such claims about my own uh, financial situation. However, if you are to take this guidance seriously, you need to know that it has some substance. So if you fancy saving yourself a a couple of decades of average to uh, poor financial results in some cases, turning it instead into very good financial results as a minimum, then today's episode is for you. And in truth, it's not all that complicated either. I am by no means a finished article and I continue to learn and grow myself each day. We're all on a journey. We're just at different stations along the way, that's all. Then a little later, I shall share an opportunity where you could get to meet uh, me in person in October as well. So stick around for that or check out the show notes if you want further details. And simply can't wait to grab one of the limited tickets to the Property Voice live workshop. Right, some tips to better control our financial future
0: coming right up then. Okay, so let's get on with this week's featured topic with Property Chatter.
1: As promised, here are some of the financial rules, principles and tips that I've picked up over the years. They've come through a combination of experience and also from listening to such wise financial sages as Warren Buffett and Robert Kiyosaki. I hope you agree that these simple principles will enable us to take control of our financial future. So let's get straight into them now. Number one, invest in your financial education. Uh, uh, Sharpen the saw, as uh, Stephen Covey says in his excellent book, The Seven Habits of uh, Highly Successful People, highly effective people even, (laughs) is all about personal development. We can apply personal development to our financial management as well. And I've read and listened to many excellent sources over the years, some several times uh, over before it sank in, I have to admit. Our financial education does not need to be expensive, but it should come from credible sources, I would say. And here are just a few books and audios that I have found helpful, which you might uh, want to check out if, uh, if you've not done so already. Uh, in terms of books pretty much everyone in property has mentioned this one and i'm going to mention it as well but rich dad poor dad uh, and i mention it for its striking lessons of adopting a strategic approach to money uh, the richest man in babylon for its simple parable like illustration of financial principles over the ages and how to get rich not quick for a simple and very practical approach to financial budgeting and control and I'll, I'll put links to these in the show notes if you want to look them up in terms of podcasts um, I mentioned free economics radio and I like it for the varied and interesting insights into all things financial and uh, so you know you can stay tuned into that one if you like without getting bored. Uh, equally, money for the rest of us. Again, I'm name-checking that quite a lot today. For the no-nonsense, everyday approach to financial planning, um, and, and whilst it's um, mainly aimed at the U.S. market, many of the principles are transferable. But per- perhaps surprisingly, the, the last uh, recommendation is a podcast called "Motivate Yourself," which only comes out every month, and it's uh, it's not directed, uh, dedicated rather specifically to finances. But it is all about gaining control of our thoughts and emotions, without which we will never be able to control our finances. Yeah, another lesson for for myself there. So make a point of studying financial management and uh, adopt many of the practices of those that have mastered money control and financial uh, management would be my very first tip. Number two, have a financially measured goal. Without a clearly written goal, which has a monetary value and a specific date, uh, date attached to it, we will remain aimless in so far as our personal finances. Some good examples might include, and you know, but feel free to make your own up, make it relevant and personal to you. But here's some, some examples of what I'm talking about. Uh, I want to retire at age 55 with a gross annual income of £35,000 per year. That would be a very specific goal uh, with a date and a monetary value attached. Similarly, £5,000 per month in passive income within five years. A net asset value of £1 million by 2025. So having a a written goal, uh, make it realistic, but also challenging to some extent. So if you aim for the sun and if you miss, you will still end up among the stars, as the saying goes. Remind yourself of it daily. Try to visualise your life having already realised the goal. And ask yourself, with all matters financial. Is this taking me closer or further away from my financial goal? Finally, make the goal a plan by outlining what actions you will take to work towards achieving it. Remember that a goal without action is just a wish. Number three is have a budget and track your expenditure. Put simply, what gets measured gets controlled. Unless we write down and track our income and outgoings, not forgetting the irregular or infrequent expenses such as holidays, birthday gifts gifts sorry, or the quarterly phone bill, we will not be able to control our finances effectively. My old, not so diligent self would often wonder how I managed to run out of month before the end of the money. Yes, I did say that correctly. Many times it was because I did not set a budget and then didn't track my expenditure against it, failing to make corrective changes when I inevitably broke my own spending rules along the way. It, now it might take a few months, uh, monthly sit downs rather, before this is perfected, but uh, try and get into the discipline of tracking your income and expenditure each and every month. and uh, and see where it's all going. And you'll be amazed at how many automated payments you find on your bank and credit card statement or surprise yourself at how much you spend on coffees, takeaways, meals out and leisure activities along with the uh, other casual expenditure along the way. And as you do this exercise you will be able to better choose when to spend this money and when to set it aside for your financial future instead of wondering what happened. Uh, The book, uh, How to Get Rich, Not Quick, uh, will certainly help here. And there's a bunch of apps as well, which you can use to track expenditure, which I won't go into, but they are out there. Number four, make money work for us as much as we work for it, if not more. It's often said that the poor work for money, but the rich make money work for them. It possibly sounds easy to think, well, if I had money, then I would make it work for me, that's for sure. But I don't, so I can't. (laughs) However, a very large number of the world's billionaires today are self-made. They did not inherit their wealth. They often started with little or nothing themselves. Just look at Buffett through investments, Gates through technology, and Jianlin through property, who are all self-made billionaires in the Forbes World Top 20 list of billionaires. And they, they know how to make money work for them. But they all started with little or none of their own in the first place. That's the key point here. If all we do is start to set aside a little money for saving, investing or to start a business, we will be starting to make uh, some of our money work for, for us instead of working for it. Getting money to work for us is based around owning assets and businesses that can give us leverage and or passive income and growth as Rich Dad Poor Dad illustrates so well. Number five, understand how the financial principles of compound growth and leverage can work with you or against you. Compound growth is the eighth wonder of the world, according to Einstein. And to illustrate the point, let's assume we could get a return of 10% a year on our money saved or pay interest on our credit card debts at this same level. Now arguably interest on unsecured debt like a credit card is is at a higher rate of interest than 10% but we'll, we'll stick with the 10% rate for now just to illustrate the point. Of course it's going to be worse than my illustration if you follow it through. Then let's say we have set, we can save £10,000 but we can also run up a credit card bill of £10,000 over a similar period of time so whatever time it takes to run up the bill or save the £10,000 it's immaterial we're arriving at the same place. Now, if we were to spend the interest each year on our savings, on that £10,000 saved, but effectively leave the credit card balance unpaid every year, so that £10,000 just rolls uh, and it sort of remains at the £10,000 unpaid plus the interest, by the end of 10 years, the results will be as follows. Savings will still be at £10,000 as we spent all the interest earned along the way. Meanwhile, the credit card bill will have swollen to a staggering £25,937. One of these figures was compounded where the interest gets added to interest and one was not. And obviously the biggest one is the one where the compounding uh, got added. And you can see clearly how compounding in this example works against us with the the, the high debt figure of nearly £26,000 compared with the savings figure without compounding of just £10,000. Now, you might be saying, but inflation will erode away some of the real terms value of that credit card balance. And you'd be right, but it would also erode the value of the savings as well. So the problem is going to get worse in real terms, in fact. Now, imagine you could invest that £10,000 at a compound interest rate of 10% per annum. And you could leave the money invested along with the interest for 25 years. And meanwhile, avoid taking on that credit card debt at the same time. The savings will have grown to a whopping £108,347 over 25 years, and that 10% rate could be a combination of capital growth and income from a property investment, which could easily reflect the performance over the last 20, 25 years. Sorry, in buy-to-let, that's for sure. As for leverage, well, the easiest way to illustrate that. Uh, right now is to imagine that you could borrow £30,000 on top of that £10,000 of savings. That £108,000 that we just talked about uh, just now would have turned into over £400,000 after 25 years if we left it compounding, even after repaying the original £30,000 of borrowed funds. Now that's a 40-fold or 4,000% increase on your original personal cash investment of the £10,000 as opposed to a still attractive 10.8 fold increase or 1080 uh, percent increase without the leverage. So uh, this illustrates the point of leverage it's like four four times the level of return by using leverage if you like. Now besides a pension with its tax and uh, employer potentially employer contributions this is effectively the only kind of leverage the rest of us can gain access to Uh, which is by using a buy-to-let mortgage and similar lending in property. Yes, you can guess I'm a fan of property quite quite clearly. But most of you know this uh, to be true already, don't you? So enough about compound growth and leverage. Apart from this last thought, the longer you leave the funds invested without touching it and letting it compound, the bigger the smile on your face will be when you eventually do get to touch it. Number six, three financial strategies for long-term wealth creation. The first one is avoid bad debt, which saps our income and wealth, but use good debt to acquire income generating assets to bolster our financial security and wealth. So pay down those credit cards and unsecured lending and the like. But as mentioned under the leverage points above just now, good debt is financing an appreciating or income generating asset, and will magnify our returns over the long-term. Consumerism keeps us poor. Passive income gives us financial security, whilst acquiring capital assets makes us wealthy. Property neatly enables the last two. Next, save for the short-term. Pay yourself first, as Kiyosaki and others have said. This means taking the first 5%, 10%, 20% or more from your earnings to set aside before you pay for your living expenses. And if you're on a low income, in debt, and wonder where the next meal will come from, you can still start small by setting aside, say, £5 per week. It's more the discipline to start uh, us off that's most important here. And once you get into the habit of genuinely setting the money aside, and as your circumstances might improve through better financial management, you can then start to increase the sum saved to to get towards the 10 or 20% of income figure that would be the money for the rest of us and the index cards teaching. The third principle is invest for the long term. My recommendation would be to buy property as early in life as you possibly can afford to do so. Applying the principles of leverage and compound growth, transfer most of the saved money from the pot created in the savings fund just mentioned above into an investment, perhaps as a deposit on a buy-to-let as soon as you possibly can. Even if this means buying a buy-to-let in an area that costs less than where you live and or work, try and get onto the property ladder sooner rather than later is my strong suggestion. And my next point explains why. Make sure you maintain the saving discipline, though, by switching the funds uh, after switching the funds into the investment, though. So keep the saving going even once you start the investing. Number seven, it's not timing the market that counts. It's time in the market, as Warren Buffett says. Markets go in cycles, and the classic investment advice is to buy low, sell high. However, if you never sell, then the best time to buy is, well, as soon as you possibly can. Okay sure we can bag a bargain at the bottom of the cycle but it's difficult to know exactly when that will be and our cash will sit idle as we wait. So I suggest buying when you have the funds ready to invest and as long as the asset pays for itself along the way, which is perhaps a, another principle in itself, then you can almost leave it to grow naturally over time using the natural waves of the market growth to boost your net worth, worth rather over time as well. And the best time to buy property is today and the second best time to buy property is tomorrow <laughs> number 8 ill delayed gratification a better start a better tomorrow rather starts with a small sacrifice today this is a tough one for some and uh, if i'm honest myself included That new release smartphone, drinks and meals out every weekend or that inclusive trip to a lovely sunspot can make us feel good or provide even a sense of reward uh, to us for all that hard work we've been going through or putting ourselves through. However, setting those funds aside for our financial future just doesn't sound as exciting or fails to give us a buzz. We may feel as as though we're missing out on this uh, material world, so to speak. However, in a famous scientific experiment among nursery aged children, those that could resist the temptation to eat uh, a sweet and instead wait a few minutes to instead get two sweets were tracked later in life to be wealthier than those that could not resist the instant gratification of that uh, that one sweet treat. So one flump today or two tomorrow. What's it to be? Number nine, take the free money on on offer when it's available. The the two big tax kickers for the rest of us are HMRC tax credits into a pension boosted by uh, matched employer contributions when these are available as part of, our, as a part of your long term pension plans. And secondly, tax free capital and income returns in a stocks and shares ISA to help save for some property deposits and or to have an extra degree of uh, asset diversification. Take them both if you possibly can, I say. (laughs) Other free uh, money tax kickers uh, of note include your annual capital gains tax allowance, uh, e.g. when you sell, uh, e.g., for example, when you sell a buy-to-let at a profit, Uh, primary residence relief, which provides free gains on the uh, house price growth of your own home, and lettings relief when you convert your home into a buy-to-let property, a rental property. Whilst we should not make investment decisions purely for tax reasons, it's amazing how much of a difference cutting our tax bill or boosting our net contributions by utilising the tax breaks available can make. Number 10. Avoid swinging for the fence only to strike out with diversification. When we start out, we may just about be able to, be able to scrape together the deposit on a single buy-to-let property and, and that's okay, that's all I could manage as well. All I'm saying here is that as we grow our investing portfolio, we'd be well advised to have our money spread around a little. Some in fast access savings, some in different properties, some in stocks and shares or equity funds, perhaps a bit in precious metals and so on. Or an easy asset allocation rule for the rest of us might be a pension, an ISA and a few buy-to-lets. And that keeps things diversified and simple if you prefer that approach. Number 11, the last one. Minimize management and transaction fees unless you can beat the normal market. So when we buy and sell shares, we have stamp duty and broker fees to pay. And when we buy and sell shares or equities in a managed fund, uh, on top of the stamp duty and broker fees will come asset management and admin fees. When we buy and sell property using a mortgage, we'll have legal fees, stamp duty, broker fees, lender fees, valuation fees and agent fees on the way in and possibly on the way out as well. Um, When we buy and sell property in a REIT or Real Estate Investment Trust, uh, much like equities, uh, an equities managed fund, there will be an asset management and admin fees to pay on top of all the other ones I've just mentioned as well. So the message is clear. The fewer transactions we have, the less we'll have to pay in wasted transaction fees, which means we retain more of the capital invested. So holding off for the long term pays off. The main exception to this rule is uh, is with a trading strategy where we can get to take profit as soon as we've created the increased equity that we are seeking and here deal velocity may well uh, work with us if we can beat the market in the short term through forced appreciation before the value then normalizes to natural market to a natural market pattern so buy force appreciation take profit and then rinse and repeat for larger accelerated returns through a higher transaction rate or increased deal velocity As we become more experienced, we may mix and match uh, these two approaches here, holding some assets for the long term whilst trading others along the way. The key differentiator with the latter is to achieve better than normal market growth, growth rather, whilst taking account of our transaction costs. So that's why I talk a lot about forcing the appreciation to get better than normal market growth. Well, there you go. Then these are my top tips for greater financial control and wealth creation. At this stage, I must say this is uh, by no means intended uh, as formal financial advice. It's merely my personal opinion, uh, as an insight, and no way reflects your specific situation, which we've not even discussed. So that's the uh, the financial warning out of the way. Uh, but what about you? Do you have any financial principles that you use that I might have be I might have missed uh, in today's uh, roundup? If so, drop me a line. I'd uh, I'd, I'd be pleased to hear from you. Now, if you're wondering how you can possibly dovetail your financial and property goals into a practical action plan, then the Property Voice Live workshop is going to be of great interest to you. I'm hosting the very first Property Voice Live event on Saturday, the 7th of October in London, and I'd love for you to join me there. It's designed for new, early stage and turnaround property investors looking for practical insights and a step-by-step approach to their property investment plans and strategy from an experienced, trusted and non-guru advisor. Yes, that's me. During the workshop, we will collectively work on your personal plans and strategy. And some of you will have the opportunity to be coached live on the day, which can be observed by the others. So still very useful insights, even if you're not going to be coached. Um, you'll be able to network both during the event and also in a relaxed, happy hour afterwards if you choose to. Finally, there's an opportunity to support charity, So uh, another, another good reason to perhaps uh, take part. Tickets are limited and they're available from the event, Eventbrite listing in the show notes. or just drop me an email podcast at thepropertyvoice.net and I'll share the, the link details with you, the event details with you. You can also email me if you want to talk about anything uh, from today's show or more generally in property investing. As usual, the show notes will be over at the website, thepropertyvoice.net. But for now, all I want to say is thank you very much for listening once again this week. And until next time on The Property Voice Podcast, it's ciao, ciao.